0: Hello everyone and welcome to the OT Watch Your Focus podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with Kelsey Reeves. Kelsey earned a master's degree in occupational therapy from Augusta University in the United States and after graduating she worked as a travel occupational therapist in a variety of settings all over America. Kelsey now works in acute care and inpatient rehab, specialising in spinal cord and brain injuries. She has a special interest in cultural sensitivity and fostering inclusive environments for the LGBTQ community. I wanted to do an episode on LGBTQ+, because although I've been fortunate enough to have a session around this topic on my current university course, What it done was spark a realisation that more than one session is actually needed to enhance my own knowledge base on this. So today Kelsey and I cover the terminology used as well as looking at some recent statistics from the UK, questioning possibly what they may mean. The differences of gender identity and sexual orientation are spoken about and some great resources are offered. So I hope you find this episode useful in some way and are able to add to your own knowledge base, or even enhance what it is you already know. So enjoy the episode. So hi, Kelsey, welcome to my podcast, OT, What's Your Focus? Uh, how are you today? What's the weather like in Georgia?
1: Good. Um, it is currently raining a lot um, for today. It's not terribly high. like high is like 80s.
0: So, ah, oh, good, good. We've got quite a nice autumnal day here today. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling good with the weather. So I wanted to talk to you today about you. Obviously, I've done an intro to who you are, but I wanted to know more about how you come to OT as a profession and what area you work in, when did you qualify of those kinds of things, really. So um, I started out
1: when I was in high school, I um, did a work study program. So I rotated through all different parts of the hospital and clinics and different medical professions and found OT. Um, I was shadowing actually at a pediatric OT clinic um, or OT, PT and speech therapies. And um, I just fell in love with OT and that was kind of my game plan ever since then. Um, And then I went off to school and then grad school um so I finished and took my boards
0: three and a half years ago now so for us in the UK what did what what are boards are they like your exams you do or
1: yeah so we have like a national board exam um in order to um, get your license
0: oh okay okay great so how long have you been qualified for again sorry
1: so by qualified you mean like where i have like a license to work as an ot yes yes that's right okay okay like three and a half years i think there's the the terminology differences
0: yeah yeah we'll get there we'll get there it'll be fine So what i've actually got you on to talk to us about today is the lgbtq community so i actually heard you on a podcast and another podcast mandy chamberlain seniors flourish and i just really i really liked the interview and obviously i've reached out and you really kindly agreed to speak to me today so um could you maybe start with how the lgbtq community became a part of your practice and the basic surrounding terminology, So maybe like looking at the initial acronym, what does it stand for, that kind of thing?
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, I um, started working with this population when I was in OT school. Um, as a student, we had like a community practice course um, where we worked as OTs at, in part of the community setting. And um, I was at a free health clinic Um, for um, people who are underinsured and 200% below the federal poverty line. So they offered free medical services. Um, We had um, like PAs and doctor or physician's assistants and the medical doctors as well as um, we added in the dental program um, and some of the other um, programs that were offered at our university. We all ran like a health clinic So we started to add OT in that and look where we could fit um, our profession into those health clinics. So um, we did like a needs assessment with the population and about 70% of um, the individuals who came to our clinic were transgender. So we were looking at how we could support that um, and their needs. Um, And what kind of came from our needs assessment is that they Really wanted just a support group and a um, way to meet other people who had similar backgrounds and were going through similar experiences as them to um, talk and connect. So that's kind of what we were there to facilitate. Um, we ran like some more mental health-based sessions around creating coping strategies and um, um, different ways to, to help them through this process. Many of them were transitioning and then um, just ways to facilitate then meeting each other and, um, creating a support group.
0: Oh, brilliant. So when you're talking about those coping strategies, that sounds really OT based. So would you be able to give us a couple of examples? Sorry, is that putting you on the spot a little bit? So what sort of things (laughs) would you be talking about?
1: (laughs) It's been a while since I've pulled that stuff out. Um, so yeah, it really depended. We used a lot of different, um, ways to come about that. We really like brainstormed as a group. Some of them, we just like tried to figure out what their outlet was. So maybe that was drawing, maybe that was sitting in a quiet place. Maybe that was, you know, being able to conversate with friends or be um, more open. Um, Maybe that was breathing strategies. So we really like pulled from all different backgrounds um, and got input from the whole group to kind of create a a list. Um, I know there were some times where we did like a watercolor activity and kind of problem solved with that um, and used like more OT models to kind of make it more structured. And sometimes we just had note cards and we just let people brainstorm their own coping strategies and write down um, from the group what they thought would be helpful.
0: Okay so how many would you sort of generally tend to have in your group? Did it sort of vary obviously I'm assuming each time but? Yeah it did
1: um, and there were like in the very beginning when we first started there were nights where we just had two people and then we slowly started to grow um, and there were like we got up to 10 people um, and since then because um, obviously I graduated and then we passed on the program to the class underneath us they've um grown and they're not actually even working within the clinic they have like their own space and their own separate time and people are still coming um I don't know exactly their numbers now but they've grown significantly
0: so it is something that's still actively happening it wasn't just like a bit of a one-hit thing that went on when you was training and oh that's great yeah I
1: don't know um because so much of it was around facilitating relationships. And I don't know if um, they've switched to more of a virtual Zoom platform now, um, because they were meeting in person um, before we were all, you know, uh, quarantined. So I'm not sure how they're doing it now. But up until that point, yeah, it was still continuing to grow.
0: So taking it back to the basics, what is the acronym LGBTQ?
1: So uh, the acronym is like a big umbrella term that... um, kind of has a lot of different things in it. Um, so we'll kind of start from the basics and break it down. So we'll just start with like the basic acronym, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, L, lesbian, G, gay, B, bisexual, um, T, transgender, and the Q can be either queer or questioning um, you'll see some people add like a plus sign at the end of it. That's just to kind of be more inclusive for all gender and, um, sexual orientation minority groups. Mm-hmm. And some people, it'll be like QIA at the end. Um, that's another way you'll see it written. That's for intersex and asexual. So as far as like working with someone, I like let them lead that and kind of how they, um, speak then i use that same
0: language oh that's really helpful actually because i was going to ask about the the more recent acronym i've heard is the lgbtqia plus and i was thinking oh is that something we should be switching to is that more current is it more up to date but taking what you just said about actually following the lead of the person you're working with that makes a lot more logical sense than one you know potentially worrying about missing letters off or you know not getting not getting it in the, the right order or something, I think that's kind of missing the point. More. Yeah, so and I you'll see it even
1: in different orders. I know um, in other places they'll do like GLBT, um, so it can be ordered differently. Um, but yeah, I just kind of see how that person, um, what how they talk about it and speak about it and then use their language.
0: No, that's great. So
1: as far as writing it, like... Um, for like podcasting formatting, or if I'm writing it in literature, I usually just add the plus sign at the end and that kind of is like inclusive of the rest of the group.
0: Exactly, and it's got the potential to just keep growing ultimately, hasn't it? Yeah. So there's no kind of yeah. end point of right now, we'll stop here and then we'll stop using the plus. So yeah, I think the plus is a great addition. Exactly. So in 2018, so obviously we're basing this on the UK now, so I know you're based in the States, but for us here, Um, An estimated 94.6% of the UK population aged between 16 and up, that's over 53 million people here in the UK, identified as heterosexual straight. Gay or lesbians estimated at 1.4% of the population, bisexual 0.9, other 0.6 and there's 2.5% who do not know or are, you know, refusing to offer that information because they don't want to. So, It's quite a big question, really. How can we as OTs, because I'll hopefully be qualifying next summer, be LGBTQ plus inclusive as part of OT practice? So I suppose maybe you could give some examples that you've come across or you've heard about. But yeah, it's just about being as inclusive as possible as practitioners, how can we go about achieving that? Because as a student, that's a bit daunting for me. I have to admit, because I'm thinking, oh, you know, will I be inclusive enough? And do I know enough? So yeah, I'd really appreciate your perspective on that.
1: Sure. Um, And I think that's like, that's the beauty of OT. That's our role. Like we do an excellent job most of the time at being inclusive. Like we kind of come at that Mindset at everything we look at. Um, are we being inclusive of this population regardless of what our own personal beliefs or values are? We kind of see what the client's values are and what's meaningful and important to them. So it's the same thing here. Um, you just kind of look at it from that client's perspective. I think sometimes we um, can start things off with a poor relationship and then not just. Um, kind of sets us up for failure. So some of those things you can do are really simple changes you can make in the beginning to learn about that client. Um, Like I was saying with the terminology, learn the terminology they use or the words they use to describe themselves or who um, are the important people in their lives. And maybe that's not um, what we think of as traditional, Um, especially when you're talking about caregivers and that sort of thing. So some of those simple things are just like pronouns, um, what pronouns you use. Are you um, kind of just jumping the gun and going straight off with a pronoun or are you letting your client lead you into the pronoun that they use for their life? Um, and then another thing is, you know, just like more gender neutral words. If someone is talking about um, their partner, are you using the word partner or are you jumping to husband or wife? Um, or using word like spouse, um, and then letting them, you know, kind of fill it in for you. So that can be when we're talking to an individual, that can also be on the forms that we use. Um, Like, if you're working in more of a clinic setting or something where they have to fill out a form, um, like, is there enough space for them to write um, their gender? Or is it labeled as sex? Or what do those forms look like? does that make sense? I so give me some examples. No,
0: absolutely. I love I love the fact that you're talking about the most basic part of this, which is the form itself and the paperwork element of actually going in and you, you you do need to get a level of detail and information from them if if anything else just for the processing element of who are you i need to you know but to have a minimal amount of options on there to keep it open even like talking i think and questioning as students due, i'm due to go out and practice placement in january so i'll definitely be looking for that and definitely be questioning that because I think it's something that there's not necessarily, I don't think challenge is the right word, but it's something that needs to be considered and spoken of. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I think, um, I think that we've come a long way but I, there's still certainly a stigma behind it and, um, that those people face every day, um, Another thing that I do is just someone's name, you know, a lot of times, and I don't know about in the UK, at least here, you know, we start off with like Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith or whatever, because that's like kind of how we were taught of being formal. But I usually just start with, hey, what do you like to be called? What's your name? Um, even as simple as some people go by their middle name. So yeah. just kind of using, um, you know, them as your guide. And for people who've had this experience, you don't know the background they're coming from and the stigma um, or maybe discrimination that they have gone through in the past. So I just try to learn from my clients and let them teach me.
0: And I suppose as well that that goes for even if you yourself, as a practitioner, are a part of the LGBTQ class community, you may identify within that, but your experience would be completely different to somebody else yeah, exactly. within that context as well so and I've, I've been thinking about this idea of non-binary words so how you would sort of approach either because uh, I'm thinking in in clinical setting in practice of a group session so you know you were saying at the beginning about how you would run these groups and you might get two people six people actually not automatically going to a word I'm trying to think of an example so say for example you might say oh hi guys and it, it's yeah, so yeah. natural to an extent, isn't it? But actually you could say, hey, people, hey, everyone, yeah. hey, I don't know, even folks, I don't know, I, I'm, I might be going a bit off off point here. But, you know, just <laughs> thinking about that that binary kind of language and the words that you use. And it's quite easy to replace the word, but it's, it's habitual to an extent, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you don't even think about it and you don't even, you just use it um, as it comes and not even like taking a step back. Is like, is this going to be something that automatically creates some level of anxiety for someone in the group that may like not allow them to be able to participate at the same level?
0: Or yeah. even make them not want to come back. They might think, oh, I didn't, I didn't appreciate the fact that that person automatically went to the pronoun of he or him, or the terminology of guys, you know, you just don't know how people feel about such things. So you've got to be have a heightened awareness, I feel.
1: And I kind of always come at it as like, I'm, I'm learning, and I'm a student, and my experience isn't the same as yours. And the person next to you isn't the same either. So we all have to learn from each other, so that we can grow. Um, Because yeah, we don't want to like, exclude someone. And a lot of times, I feel like it's, it's even unintentional. It's just those habitual things, like you're saying, that we didn't even realize we were doing, and it's just someone bringing that to our
0: attention. Yeah, definitely. And it goes across the board as well. I often find this can be a um, this can be translated over when you're talking about those with disabilities as well. It's it's considering your terminology and your language use, isn't it? It's uh, it's a learning curve. That's why I'm talking to you today. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, and culture plays a big role in that too. Like we've experienced in the beginning of this podcast, we have different terminologies for things and how we talk about it. A lot of times we're just talking about the same thing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I've got kind of a bit of an off question from that. Um, I just was thinking what you're saying about obviously asking the person what they would like to be referred to themselves. And then you've kind of got this mutual agreement between you both understand you're on the same page, but uh, i don't know if you've ever experienced this yourself but if during practice we were to come across a person working th- with them in whichever context or with it e- with whichever population and we found that basically they were maybe potentially presenting with prejudice towards the lgbtq community or even a family member or a friend that's visited them would you would you i mean i don't know if you've ever experienced that but would you have any advice about how you could essentially deal with that situation without it turning into, you know, basically in a non-confrontational manner? Because I was thinking about this and I think you've got, you've got your two positions, haven't you? You've got your instant human near enough instinctive reaction, but then you've got your professional stance. That's a really hard balance, isn't it?
1: Um, And it depends on the situation. I absolutely have dealt with these situations. And because I've been um, a big advocate in the LGBTQ community and spoken out at, you know, on podcasts and um, in conferences, um, I get kind of pulled in and called about a lot of questions of how to deal with these situations. I've also had other practitioners' experiences that they've shared with me, and we've tried to problem solve the situation. Um, But I think if there's like another client who's maybe being prejudiced towards one of my other um, clients that I'm working with, if there's a way to separate them um, at all, you know, maybe I don't do groups together, maybe they're in groups at different times, maybe their schedules vary, um, without them really knowing about that. But um, I try to do that just for best outcomes for both people. Um, Because at the same time, these are my, you know, something I'm very passionate about. Um, Yes, I want to educate and be um, an advocate, but that other person may not be willing to listen. So I try to model that behavior or the best thing to say, um, you know, and how to interact with someone. If it's someone that I think that it was unintentional and they just didn't really see the harm that they were causing, then I might bring it up um, if I had that sort of relationship with them if it's intentional harm, and I just don't think it's going to be good for either client, then I try to separate that situation out. Um, now, when it's practitioners, um, or someone and um, another therapist I'm working with, or an organizational issue at a place that I'm working, then that's when I kind of step into that advocacy role as being an advocate for um, this population and saying, you know, this is, you know, best practices, this is how we need to handle that situation, or if it's a therapist one-on-one, again, I model that behavior of, um, of how that person likes to be treated, and then maybe I speak to them and say, hey, like, they actually go by this name, or um, it's not appropriate to call them this, um, you know, you need to use she, her pronouns, or, you know, whatever the situation
0: may be. That's interesting. You say you have come across that in practice. So I'd never considered until you just mentioned at that moment, I'm assuming it could be, you know, other clients, like you said, or friends or family members, but actually it could be other professionals. Never even crossed my mind.
1: Yeah. It ha- unfortunately it happens. Um, unfortunately I've had to deal with that situation. And then if, if they don't, you know, correct it, then I would kind of escalate that from there because we shouldn't, you know, but shouldn't be accepted for our clients
0: mm, I think in a way that just shows my level of naivety through not being in the community itself you know and having very little experience so yeah thank you um that gives me something to think about so <laughs> um so I was looking up hard. some details extremely before this oh sorry sorry no no sorry I cut you off sorry
1: I was say it's extremely hard when you're a student too because you don't feel like you have that um position to be able to speak up and say something but like you know know that you you do and that it's the best for your patient
0: and especially when you like you said you're being the advocate it's about empowerment to an extent as well so no I appreciate that I'll be I'll be logging that one on and thinking about that reflecting on it later so um, I was I was just saying before I rudely interrupted you that I was looking up some details before I catch up today. And uh, I was using the results from a government survey here in the UK. And basically the statistics from this survey were looking at the sexual ori- orientation of people here in the UK. So when we're talking about the LGBT community, so 61% of people identified as gay or lesbian, 26% of people identified as bisexual 4% as pansexual, 2% asexual, 1% queer and gender identity, 13% were transgender, 6.9% were non-binary and 3.5% were trans women, 2.9% being trans men. So I know that that's a huge amount of information I've just sort of reeled off there, but I think what I wanted to take away from that is just the range and looking at some of the language because I reckon there's maybe a few in there that some people listening may never have heard of. So would you be able to maybe talk us through pansexual, asexual, queer, non-binary and intersex? Because I think sometimes the biggest barrier to knowing or educating yourself about something is the disassociation from the language. So would you be able to go through those for me maybe and just give us a bit more of an idea of what they mean and what, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to use, um, I kind of pulled some definitions or a glossary just to have on hand. Um, So I'm going to use a glossary from the Safe Zone Project, which I can mention if we like talk about resources and other places to uh, look for stuff at the end. Um, But that's kind of where my definitions of things are coming from, as well as a multitude of other places I've gathered over the years. But um, for the most part, I updated all all of this from the Safe Zone Project, if anybody's wondering where I get my information from. So pansexual is a person who, experience, um, who experiences sexual, romantic, physical, and or spiritual attraction for members of all gender identities and expression. Sometimes you'll hear the shortened as pan as well. Um And then asexual is a person who experiences little or no sexual attraction or um, interest in sexual relationships or behaviors. Stop me if I'm going too fast. I can no, slow no, down. No, no, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm taking it in. I'm taking it in.
1: <laughs> um, and queer um, is one of those terms that can be used as an umbrella term to kind of capture the whole lgbtq plus community um but it also has been used as a derogatory term over time so some um people consider it derogatory and some People consider it more that umbrella term. Um, so that's one of the words I never use first. Um, if a client that I'm working with uses that term, then I may also use it, but I just put a little, like, kind of caution flags around that term because um, some people can't take that one as derogatory in meaning, but it can be used interchangeably with LGBTQ. Okay. And then the other one you mentioned, non binary. Did you mention that one?
0: Yes, yes, non-binary.
1: So non-binary is um, referring to gender expression and how we express ourselves and it would be someone that doesn't fall in either that masculine or feminine category. Mm -hmm. And then Intersex is a sex term. Um, So that's someone born with both male and female anatomy or sexual hormones or chromosome um, malformations. So that's more like the sex, the biological piece of it.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. I'm hoping that's helped a few people out that maybe were feeling a little bit unsure about terminology and you know, you, you you just want to get it right. Ultimately, that's the main thing I've, I feel you just want to get it right. So it's good to have it explained. Sure. And sometimes it I feel maybe it's just taking it back to those basics. And then it gives you that confidence to want to build on something. That's how I'm viewing it anyway. So I don't know about and others.
1: And it can be overwhelming. It's a lot. It's a lot to learn. And even preparing for this podcast, I that's why I went to you know, the safe zone, I was like, let me make sure that those are still, um, you know, updated definitions, that's still how it's used, or like the term with queer, like that that hasn't become a derogatory term or, um, something that's used as slang. So Mm -hmm. it's something you have to stay current and up to date with.
0: Definitely. So uh, there was a couple of things from that. Would you be able to explain to the listeners today, the difference between what sexual orientation is and what gender identity is? Because they're two separate things, aren't they?
1: Absolutely. So um, sexual orientation is who you have um, physical attraction or want to have romantic or sexual relationships with. Um, so it's more of that who you're attracted to um, piece. And then gender identity is a cultural term. Um, like it's made up of cultural context and it's how we view and, and present ourselves.
0: Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I'm trying to think of an, a kind of a, a way to put that into context, but I'm struggling to. So I'll have to think about it. Maybe I'll, I'll figure one out by the end, but.
1: Can I get, how about I get, do it does it help if I give you some examples within maybe, gender? Maybe, yeah,
0: maybe that might be helpful, yeah. Okay, so
1: you have, within those categories, you would have like male, and or masculine, feminine, um, androgynous, non-binary. So those are kind of the categories that fall within gender identity. Um, but this is kind of, I say it's a social construct because it does, it varies across cultures, um, and what we, um, view for a particular group of people just, unfortunately, based on the sex organs they have. So, you know, if you think about when, like, a child's born, at least here, um, you know, we douse everything in pink, um, just because they have sex of female. Um, so it's just those ideas of how we, like, present ourselves.
0: Mm, those are sort of real gender stereotypes aren't they of the yep. pink and blue and yeah yeah i, I get what that, you're meaning it, that makes more not, sense that's another thing we can do as practitioners is making sure
1: that we're not just reinforcing those gender stereotypes you know if we're working with a male and we pull out tools every time but maybe that male you know really likes some other activity um and that comes back to getting to know your clients and what's meaningful to them
0: Mm. Now, I think that's really important to consider as well when you you, you might be thinking that you're potentially grading or adapting a task. I don't know if you should essentially always factor gender into that in the sense of, you know, in relation to what you was just saying, you might think, oh, well, this is a can't think of something that would be really kind of stereotypical, I don't know, flower ranging, something like that, and just think there would be no, no guys would want to do this. You know, yeah you, you can't have those assumptions. It's just not logical to me. But it would happen, I feel.
1: It's, yeah, and it's easy to do, especially when you're running big groups and you're trying to, you know, create something for everyone, and you're like, oh, okay, well, we'll put all the males together and they will do this, you know. I'm trying to think of other tasks. Um, tools are the ones that are sticking out in my head right now. But, yeah. but maybe there's a female who works in construction and we might need to also consider her in that group. Or, you know, it's a fine motor group for kids and we have all, you know, the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of good. I don't work in Pete, so that's <laughs> not my expertise. Um, or we're working on homemaking skills, and, you know we don't include a male in the cleaning and kicking um cleaning and cooking but that's what he does at his home every day
0: yeah definitely I, I, that makes a lot of sense so i wanted to talk to you about age for a minute it might not instantly seem relevant but it kind of popped into my mind when i was looking at all of the statistics and the data that's out there for us here in the uk at the moment um i was looking at the impact from that data, so from the same sources earlier that I was reeling off all of those statistics and percentages, it was saying that sixty nine percent of the respondents and there was over a hundred thousand respondents to this particular survey sixty nine percent of them were aged between sixteen and thirty four so that means that you know a massive chunk of that data is coming from the younger population mm-hmm. but only 0.7 percent of that data come from people aged over 65 and that's a shockingly different response rate to me so what do you think could potentially be contributing to this kind of disparity um based upon the age element when we're talking about this
1: yeah I'm, i immediately go to like why is that i'm curious like and it's you know we didn't run the study so we don't really know but like Is it the area, like the demographic of the area they tested? Is it, you know, the lack of response rate? They just didn't get enough responses back from that age population? Um, I'm just curious. That would be interesting Mm -hmm. to find out. Um, Yeah, it does. When we don't have accurate statistics, then we can't create programs and resources out there um, to address the disparities. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, another thing that kind of pops into my head is, our older generation, they have lived through um, the negative experiences around it and that might make them less inclined to want to respond to these surveys because they know the stigma and they have experienced the discrimination um, behind it when people found out or um, they shared with someone their sexual orientation or gender identity or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that's concerning.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the route I was going down with my thinking as well. And, you know, even taking it back to thinking about how was the survey given if it was electronic, would that person over 65 maybe not want to interact that way or vice versa? Was it, you know, was it a paper survey? Was it right. um, based within universities where you wouldn't have such a high proportion of people over 65? So yeah, I might look into that and add that onto the show notes and see if I can find out a bit more, but no, it just really surprised me to go from nearly 70% to under 1%. It was just to me, that was, um, that was really something to, you know, it really just stood out to me. So I will see what I can find out. So on to the next question. How can we Let me as... go back real
1: quick because I want to
0: make yeah, sure... Yeah, go, 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 go.
1: About the, um, um, gender identity. I think I, I kind of jumped ahead to gender expression, which yeah. would be that male uh, or masculine, feminine, uh, androgynous, and intersex. I'm sorry. I was, I was skipping the gun. So your gender identity terms, I just realized my error, um, would be... um male, like cisgendered, so male and female, and then um, as well as transgender. And then you would have um, trans woman, um, trans male, and then gender queer also falls within that category. Okay. Sorry about that, I was I was jumping ahead in my notes.
0: No, that's fine, don't worry, that's fine. We've, we, people can sort of jump back and forth. And
1: Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I clarified so that that was clear.
0: Oh, um, thank you.
1: Those are your, your gender identity terms, but it is it's that social construct um, that we ascribe to as either masculine or feminine, um, and it's kind of governed by our activities and practices as social arrangements.
0: Does that make sense? No, that's perfect. That's absolutely that's perfect. great if I was clever enough I'd be able to kind of snippet that bit of audio out and sort of stick it back to where it should be but I'm sorry I'm not I haven't got those skills (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying I'll try and I'll try and develop them but I can't I can't promise you anything but I'm sure people won't mind so as healthcare professionals and we address people and how we address them is really important so we've touched upon this whole concept of pronouns and i mentioned earlier about using non-binary language and i think there might be some people going pronouns non-binary language you know i'm i'm not i'm not sure what what's meant by that so would you maybe be able to go into a little bit about what pronouns is because i i'm not i only recently come across this when i was listening to a podcast myself called what was the podcast i was listening to i think it was occupied and they did a whole episode on the use of pronouns and it i kind of it took me a minute to get my head around it i don't know why because i'd never come across it
1: yeah i have to listen to that i haven't um i haven't heard that particular episode
0: yeah so that was really really interesting and that was with an ot over in the states actually i think he's called the rainbow ot on instagram oh okay Um, So yeah, so I think um, that was, and that's the first time and I thought, oh, pronouns and like how, how passionately he kind of put that across about how much it meant to actually get that right. And the fact that if you are open enough to be able to put your pronouns on the end of your email on your signature or put your pronouns on your Instagram or put your pronouns on your Twitter account, how much that means. And I was just, I found it really compelling to want to know a bit more about that. So I think maybe others might feel the same. So would you be able to maybe start a discussion around the pronoun and inclusive language?
1: Sure. So, um, it goes back to using, um, what the client uses. So some options out there are, um, like she, her pronouns and then, um, he, him pronouns and then they, them pronouns and not just using they, them for groups of people, but knowing that someone might, um, use that as their um, primary pronoun that they use. Um, so that can sometimes sound weird in the beginning when you're getting used to the language, but once you, once you use it, it's just really not. Yeah. Um, there's also Z and Zem, like Z-E-Z-I-M, um, is another one some people use. Um, but yeah, having that in there um, in, at the end of emails, that definitely cues someone in is that you're like a more inclusive person because or a practitioner um, because they can see that you, you know, you also put some extra thought into it to, um, identify what your pronouns are for others to use and what, like what you like to be called.
0: Mm, Definitely. And it's so easy to do, right? It's such an easy, a little simple, easy thing to do. Yeah, so a lot
1: at the end of email, it's like your name, whatever your credentials is. And then, you know, in parentheses, you can just put, um, she slash her or they slash them, whatever it is that, um, that you use.
0: And I was trying to think of putting this into an example before we started talking today. And the only one I could think of, it's not great. I'm sorry. I I tried, but I was thinking about, um, because for me, I'm one of these people I need to know, I need to put what I'm thinking about into actual practical terms. So I was thinking about if you're part of a multidisciplinary team even, and you might be talking about the person you're working with and you might not always be talking about that person in name. And the way that I, I sort of figured pronouns out in my own mind was to think about saying oh well actually um, they would like to know rather than he would like to know or they would like to know rather than she would like to know so it's something it's it's an it was one of those things I was saying again earlier about just thinking about the terminology and just taking a minute to take it and sorry if that was a really terrible example but I was trying to it's, it's a hard thing to try and put it into an example isn't it without it being natural
1: yeah, um, or like if they forgot something and you're, you know, you're calling the house and you're saying, hey, um, you know, they forgot their coat at the clinic or whatever, you know, and you're telling them to come back, you're telling a family member or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it definitely happens. I and mean, when we use pronouns all the time, I one day tried to stop and think about how many times I use pronouns and like go through my day and just kind of take note and cue. And I was shocked. How many times I like was referring to someone to someone else and using that pronoun.
0: Yeah, it's just kind
1: of a common replacement for their name to not say their name every single time.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, bringing this topic to occupational therapy, what would you suggest people, whether they're qualified OTs or OT students, assistant practitioners, or you know, even other healthcare professionals? how could they go about finding out or maybe improving their knowledge base? So they're listening today and they're thinking, you know, a bit like what I was like myself, you know, I feel I need to know a bit more about that, or I'm not so sure about what was being said on that part of this discussion. I'd like to maybe brush up on that or or look a bit more into it. How can people go about improving their knowledge base within this area?
1: And I think, you know, you're off to the right start. You listen to a podcast about it. So you're, you know, saying, hey, I want to know more. Like, I don't know a lot about this and I want to know more. That's a great place to start. Um, Again, learning from your clients um, if this comes up. But I do agree that it's better to be prepared in the beginning because if you didn't, you know, you might make one of those errors unintentionally. Um, um, When I was first learning everything and um, getting into this area of practice and then also just Um, implementing this into my practice. I just did a lot of research online. There's a lot out there um, that kind of goes through some of this. One of the main places I went to, um, I mentioned the Safe Zone Project. Um, Safe Zone Training, they are a free online resource um, that their whole mission and purpose is to create educational resources. Um, for the LGBTQ plus um, population. So they have tons and tons of educational videos on there. They have um, resources you can use in your clinic. Um, and if you go through their training video, you get a free, um, or at least you're used to, I'm imagining it's still the same, you get a free um, sticker that's like a rainbow Six sticker and says the a safe Zone project that you can have up um, at your desk or in your clinic, um, just kind of signal people you've gone through this training and you are um, trying to be more inclusive Um, and they also one of my favorite resources on their website is they have a glossary in the back so if you're unsure about a term somebody uses something you don't know about that's a great place to look Um, because it's just like a little dictionary of a bunch of different terms um, that you can look up it also uh, has terms that are now um, could be offensive to someone and it'll kind of let you know if that's something that's used as a derogatory term, and it's kind of one of those caution terms.
0: That's great. That's something you could even take around with you, like stick it in your diary, have it with you, quick point of reference, you know, go and have a look if you don't want to sort of, if you're not able to memorize the whole thing, so no, that's great.
1: So yeah, that's a great place to look. Um, The Trevor Project, sorry, all my references, there, are like United States-based. Um, that is a suicide prevention program for the LGBTQ population. Um, really, anyone can call. They have a 24-hour hotline, but they also have um, resources for practitioners on, um, on the LGBTQ population, as well as um, some prevention things for like, suicide prevention, if you found yourself in that situation.
0: Okay, that's great. So that leads nicely into your final question today, which is, do you want to recommend a book film article website I always love it when I get a Netflix recommendation (laughs) and maybe elaborate why in relation to this topic we've been talking about today so do you have one sort of real recommendation that you think that's the one I really want people to go away and read or watch or see or hear you know there's
1: there's a lot I am not a movie person I'm so bad about that um there are a lot of books and movies out there and that is like just not something I've looked as much into not that I could like recommend one one thing
0: um like confidently yeah I know what you. yeah
1: I (laughs) can confidently say like go movies I I don't even know because I I just I don't ever watch movies I'm sorry (laughs) so bad
0: but um, anything it could be an article anything you like
1: um, I, I love the safe zone project. I feel like I'm seeking their praises, but I just love that their website is laid out so easily. And that also you can use any of their resources, um, for yourself in your own practice. And I think that that's really helpful. So that would be mine. One thing. I'm sure there's more in the, or, um, other things in the UK I don't even know about as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I I might um, pop one up myself, a recommendation that I have. So people, I mean, you've you've given some great recommendations throughout anyway, so I'm sure that's absolutely fine. I didn't mean to put you on the spot then, like give me a Netflix series. If you have do you have any (laughs) recommendations? of things <laughs> not for netflix unfortunately not related directly to this but i'm sure there'll be people out there screaming going oh my goodness there's this 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 and this but no i will I'll, yeah. I'll see what i can find out and put it onto the show notes for everyone but i will also put the link for the safe zone project because i think that sounds great and the fact it's free makes it so accessible as well yeah gotta love a freebie right yeah <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me today kelsey you're
1: welcome thank you
0: that was so insightful for me and by no means do I now feel completely confident or knowledgeable but I feel in a much better place with what my foundation and knowledge base is. I definitely think there's something in the fact that you can use audio resources such as podcasts as a great way to start or even continue to build your knowledge base up from. Kelsey gave some great examples and explanations of real life scenarios that she's encountered, so thank you for that, it's all useful. I will have the details from the episode in the show notes in case you want to check out any of the items that Kelsey mentioned. I also wanted to say on this episode how much I appreciate all of you listening to the show I cannot tell you how nice it is when people reach out to say hi or comment on a particular episode that they've enjoyed or learned something from. I even recently received a voice message so that was great as it comes directly through to my Anchor account so try that too if you like. Do get in touch and say hi or even offer recommendations for what it is that you would like to have covered because you're the listeners so I like to know what you are all thinking too. If you're an OT listening and think you would like to talk to me about your role or what you do, then do get in touch. All of my details are in the show notes too, so I would appreciate anyone who would like to do that. I wanted to say, I think there might have been a little bit of, uh, not necessarily feedback, but there was, I think it might have been my notifications pinging a few times throughout that episode, so apologies for that. I'm not the most tech savvy person and I'll be the first to admit it, but hopefully it didn't interfere too much. So until next time, take care and have a great week.